Welcome to the sixth and final episode of season one of Not Fade Away Archives. And after this today's show, please uh, join us to take a moment to learn how you can contribute to the Not Fade Away podcast. We appreciate your support, and we love having you here. Today's pretty exciting. We've got a close friend with us. Me and my co-host, Craig Jones, are going to welcome... B. Rouse, and uh, she's a fellow Houstonian that grew up in Houston. Um, and one of the things that was really popular when we were kids and when we were younger was drive-in movies. And believe it or not, for those of you who live in Houston now that can't dream of being outside of air conditioning and being inside of a mosquito, drive-ins were a place the mosquitoes stayed away and there was always a cool breeze. So Craig, why don't you introduce our guest? B is a great person to join us today as we talk about this because uh, she is a fun person with a great memory of cool things, and that's what this podcast is all about. So we're going to start B off, and B, I want you to tell us where you went to the drive-in and the little things you can remember about that experience. All right. Um, from a big family and drive-in movies were a great great way to entertain the family cheaply. They, uh, what I really liked about it, and I remember early on, there were swing sets and things and seesaws right under the screen so the little kids could go play, and we did that, while the parents watched the movie. Then as we got older, we were in the car, and uh, we could get, we could go on special nights with car full for just a small amount of money. It was the Tidwell Drive-In in North Houston. Our house was about five miles outside of what is now Loop 610. It was country. And uh, that one drive-in, the Tidwell, was the, the one that we usually went to. But the, uh, the food was good. And one of the things we had to deal with, you know, Houston is the sauna of the South. I can feel the sweat <laughs> and the mosquitoes. Y'all remember the PIC, P-I-C? It was a coil that you had a little stand and you would buy that and put it on the dash, light it up and it would smoke and you'd smell, hopefully not DDT, but it kept the mosquitoes away pretty much. But that's one thing that I remember and, and uh, there were times that, you know, you had to also make sure it wasn't going to rain. And it's hard to watch a movie with the windshield wipers on and the car going. But that was really a, one of the best ways to entertain our family. All right, very good. What I remember where I grew up, I grew up in Dallas. And we had kind of two scenarios with the drive-in. We had our little drive-in, the Arapahoe Theater that was out in Richardson where I lived, that it was a few minutes away. But in Dallas, they had the giant, incredible Gemini Twin Theaters that today that land, it was right on uh, old I-75 that goes right through the middle of Dallas. It's probably worth billions of dollars. But <laughs> back then, it was there, and it was a scene. You had two giant screens. It probably held a 1,000 cars. 
And it was not only like watch the movie, it was get out and mingle and go, go around and meet other teenagers. And we did the, not sneaking the kids in the car, we put the us in the car <laughs> so we could get out. One time we got popped for that offense. All they did was make us pay. <laughs> and then we just stayed and watched the movie. So obviously they had it happen that quite a bit. But I remember about the drive-in, more than anything else, it was just like a great thing to tell your parents. But then they knew, I think, probably a little more than we thought they did what we were really going there for. <laughs> so it was just an incredible cultural event, whether you'd go to the small one in Richardson with your family, but if you're going to go rock and roll, you went to the giant Gemini twin with everybody else in Dallas, I think, on some nights. Well, um, I grew up on the south side of Houston, and we went to uh, the King Center, I think was the first drive-in when I was a kid. Same reason as B went. We went because it was something the family could afford. You could afford to go in there. You could, you know, you could afford some popcorn and drinks. And I remember going a couple of times with my uncle and his family. And a few films that we went to that when we were probably, us kids, shouldn't have been there for those. And I remember every once in a while, my dad would go, why don't you get your sister and your cousins next door and y'all go to the playground and play? And that was a cue for me because I was the oldest kid. You know, I was maybe 10, 11, 12. I was starting to catch on. That, yeah, I'll go to the playground, but I'm going to keep one eye on that screen to see what's coming up next because it was probably meant something pretty steamy for those days. But um, when I was a teenager, they built the McClendon six, five or six screens in one driving out off of uh, Post Oak in South Maine. And so that was our teenage place. That's where all the teenagers went. And if you had a car, you could get a date and you go to the drive-in. It was, it was great. You could afford it and have a lot of fun. Well, now that we've talked about going to the drive-in, let's talk about what we watched at the drive-in. And there were two movies that were, I guess the modern term is franchises, that dominated the drive-in movie. And one was uh, Beach Party movies, and the other was Elvis Presley movies. And they were both very similar, and we're going to talk about what we remember about those, and because it was just amazing how popular they were. Incredibly, Elvis Presley made 31 movies. And he would be the first to say, there were like 31 travelogues, same script, different place. Yeah. You know, he'd, he'd have plenty of girls, plenty of issues, plenty of problems, and he'd sing plenty of songs. And one would be in Acapulco, one be in Las Vegas, one time he was a race, race car driver, another time he was in jail, but they were all basically the same setup. The other were beach party movies. They starred... Uh, Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. Frankie had already had a teen idol uh, career with several hit singles. Annette was an original Mouseketeer. And the, and the Mickey Mouse Club was, of course, geared at, uh, you know, grade school age kids to watch after school. But Annette had some physical characteristics <laughs> that when you got to be a boy that was 11 or 12, you really notice them. Mm -hmm. And so Annette became a real thing, and she was a very beautiful woman. But they were in it. I think Frankie, they were supposed to be high school kids. 
I think that Frankie Avalon was probably about 30 when they started making them. And Annette was probably well in their early 20s, but they were high school kids. And uh, in so much of it was just like an Elvis movie in that uh, they would just, you know, for no reason break out into song, you know, all the time. Blue Hawaii. With Elvis as your personal guide to America's exotic Eden, our Polynesian paradise. Elvis brings you the vacation of your life in his first big musical since the songsational G.I. Blues. It worked. She's jealous. As he hits the beach with the most luscious armful of delight on the islands. Don't you like it? Oh, I love it. And I thank you for thinking of me. Oh, I wasn't thinking of you. I was thinking of me. Yes, the most gorgeous Wahinis on Waikiki are taking lessons from Elvis when he gets a job guiding gals with more than scenery on their minds. Let's go on a moonlight swim Far away from the crowd all along upon the beach Do you want to kiss me again? I don't rob cradles. Did you ever see anything like this in a cradle? If I can, in love with you. So I remember those things about the movie, and now I'm going to ask B to kind of tell us what she remembers and what's what stood out for her first with the Elvis, and then we'll let Gary tell us about the Elvis. And then I'll add a little bit, and then we'll talk about the Beach Party movie second. So tell us about Elvis Presley movies, B. I was so in love with him, and he had no idea. <laughs> I didn't get to see him when he came to Houston. His first two movies were Loving You and Love Me Tender. I saw each one three times. I finally got over him after <laughs> after he got married. But... Uh, and his music was all around. Loved it. And, uh, but we also loved him in, in those movies. And it was, like, you, like uh, you said, a travelogue, different locations, much like I'm thinking the Bob Hope movies, On the Road. Mm -hmm. It was a new version of that type of uh, series. But uh, those were really, really entertaining to us. Um. If you've ever gone and toured Graceland, which I've done a couple of times, it's it's amazing how they froze that that day and time into that home and that grounds and everything. I mean, it's it's just a great historical tour. And one of the things they always say every time you tour the Jungle Room was downstairs, Elvis had four TVs set up, four TVs, you know, two sitting on top of two other ones, and. They said he used it for watching sports. He'd like to watch games all at the same time and stuff. And they said the one thing he'd never see Elvis watching was an Elvis movie. He hated his movies. He didn't like them. Uh, I think it's something that he felt like he wasn't that as good at that as he was at singing, entertaining. But, I mean, you know, the, the money he made off of it and the popularity spoke for itself. But El you're, you're talking about movies and you know, there are only seven different types of stories for a movie. Well, Elvis is one of them. Elvis, you know, has a cool job. 
meets a cool girl, loses girl, gets in a fight with new boyfriend and gets girl back by the end of the movie and then throws some songs at it. And that's every Elvis movie. Uh, that, and you can watch that and that plot theme stays there. But Elvis was, uh, was an amazing guy. And um, I know the Beatles once said that that through all their fame and they couldn't go anywhere and they couldn't be alone and all that, that they felt most sorry for Elvis because Elvis had to go through all that by himself. They said, well, at least we've got each other and we understand what that was like, but, but Elvis went through that whole thing on his own, basically. I think this about Elvis is that he was really was had three careers. The first one was the Incredible Sun record, uh, mm -hmm. Hound Dog era, when he just took the music world over. You know, it's well documented. And of course, the recent movie you know, about Colonel Parker, and he got him in all these movies. I think it is unfair, though, to say that the soundtracks and the music he did during the movie period was all wasted. There are some cool songs that came yeah. from it uh, and that be, are still iconic and played to these days and, you know, all those type of things. But I think that what eventually happened to Elvis, he was sitting there watching the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all these people that were coming up and doing changing important music. And in 1969, he uh, basically went and told Colonel Parker, you know, I'm done. I'm not going to do any more movies, much to the protest of the colonel. And he went in and did the Memphis sessions, which were knocked out in three days. It featured, uh, you know, some of his best songs, you know, In the Ghetto, uh, Suspicious Minds, Kentucky Rain, and Elvis was back. Yeah. You know, really serious, good music again. But that interlude of the all the movies, you think about the Beatles. Yeah, they did a couple movies, but they weren't plot movies. Right. They were just them running around being a band, doing silly, fun things. Where his, as similar as the plots were, there was always one that was very predictable. And they were just good, simple, fun to watch. Beach Party for the most uproariously uninhibited unveiling of today's pagan rites. Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello, two youngsters in love you'll love. You know, the only thing I've studied this semester is you. Well, I hope you don't flunk. Harvey Lembeck, a motorcycle matador. Amsterdam, host to hot doggers and beach bunnies. Why not? Keep a moving and a grooving, don't stop now. Don't stop now. Boogles. Serving, swinging, and surfing. Yeah, just surfing. Uh -huh. There's an irresistible surge of that urge to romantically merge. It's wild and wonderful when 10,000 kids beat on 5,000 beach blankets. Hey, wall-to-wall -wall girls. <laughs> Laughing, loving, living it up. Vacation is here, beach party tonight. 
So what can you remember, B, about the, uh, the iconic beach party movies? Well, Frankie Avalon. I, I loved him, too, by the way. <laughs> and he never knew it. <laughs> and, that, and that Annette was always getting in the way. You know? <laughs> but uh, those were really fun. And, you know, it actually, you know, we half expected to see someone like that when we'd go down to Galveston. That didn't happen. But um, I don't remember any specifically, except they were all very similar. But when you got something that works, you just twist it a little and do it again. All right, Gary, what do you remember about beach party movies? Well, you know, Annette, my first crush on Annette was she was still a mouseketeer. <laughs> and she only grew up and got prettier and, yeah. and better looking. So I came into the beach movies um, because of Annette and uh, and then, uh, you know, Don Rickles, I think, was one in one or two of them, you know, played some guy in that. But, I mean, they were always fun. They were, it was always on the edge of uh, popular, you know, pop music. They'd always have some band playing at the beach and stuff. And, and in some ways, I think the beach mu movies were a little similar to um, Elvis's his movie in that Frankie and Annette would generally start out together. And, of course, it would break up. And, of course, it would be over another person, you know, another guy, another gal. And then they would get jealous and then, you know, maybe a fight or two, a punch or two. And then they'd end up together at the end of the movie. And so it's always a happy ending. You know, they were back together. They, you wanted them to be together. And um, I just remember it being a lot of fun. I, I, don't, I don't think I could distinguish any scene from any of them. And I don't remember how many there were. Maybe you remember, but but it was all pretty similar. But you couldn't stop watching. You couldn't wait for the next one to come out. You know, the motorcycle gang that was funny, and you know, the uh, beach party movies. There were six of them. Okay. And they came out in about uh, a three-year window. And actually, I think towards the end, Frankie and Annette weren't even in them anymore. The mm -hmm. last one or two, but. The thing about them to me was they had, it was just insane, the setup of it. The motorcycle gang, the, the head guy was Eric Von Zipper. <laughs> and there's a scene where they, they make him mad and he comes back and he goes, well, I've had it, I'm Eric Van Zipper and I'm coming back with an army. And of course it was nothing like the real Hell's Angels. It was yeah. just a real comedic uh, character. Maury Amsterdam played a guy that had a bar that they all went to and partied at, which is really interesting that these are supposedly high school kids, and there's a bar for them. Yeah. And in one episode, he actually explains it, is that, well, it was okay for them to go there because they could only drink beer. And so <laughs> that made it all right. And somehow the studio bought that, but it was in there. And then it was just... A lot like Elvis in that they'd be talking all of a sudden just break out into song. There was even a clip I, I saw that I remember where Frankie was out supposedly surfing and singing a song as he surfed in. You know, it's like Elvis, you know, would sing when he was driving down the road in the car. Sure. So it was just <laughs> in a, in a very spontaneous. But they were very similar, I think, in that they were you know compared to a lot of stuff today very harmless very fun very predictable and as far as driving fare goes if you wanted to let's say 
headed in a different direction with the date. You didn't feel too real bad because you'd always explain what the movie was about when you got home and explain it to your parents <laughs> because they were all just alike. <laughs> that was, and they never saw them. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was, I'm sure, planned to help us out. We have a couple stories to kind of highlight that we remembered to uh, kind of take us out today. And B's got one that she wants to tell us about that happened to, I think, a relative of hers uh, concerning the speakers that you put in your, uh, put on the side of your window so you could hear the movie. There were actually a couple of things like that happened that were um, not, the people that owned the theater weren't happy with it. We, you know, if you forget to put the speak, take the speaker off your half up window and drive away, it pulls the speaker off the post. They don't think, you know, you either throw it in the floorboard, it wasn't me, <laughs> or you toss it out the window and get out of there. But the, the funniest was when my sister Ruby was driving us and with kids all over the back seat, maybe in the trunk too. And she turned the lights off because the movie had started, you know, and she's driving along there all of a sudden. She hit one of those posts, flattened that sucker out. <laughs> and... We just died laughing. We just moved to the other side of the theater. <laughs> My big highlight, and it was actually uh, one of the more uh, uh, evil stories of my life that, you know, I only told my mother like 20 years later, and she was still upset about it. But <laughs> when I had gone off to college after a year, I came back, and I got a gig being the tennis pro at a small country club because they couldn't afford to have a pro, and they needed somebody real cheap just for the summer, and that was me. And I got hooked, so I had some high school guys that came out and played every day, and they would just worship at my beer drinking stories and college <laughs> life and everything. So the entire summer, they said, oh, please take us out. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're getting towards the end. I said, all right, we'll do it. And somehow, I think at the time, I actually had a couple of fake IDs. I procured some beer, and we went to the previously mentioned Arapahoe Drive-In. Watch the watch the movie, but basically drink a whole bunch of beer. We're having a great time and get ready to leave. And we go driving out, and at the drive-in, because it was dark, you couldn't turn your lights on until you left the the drive-in. So I drive out, and of course, what happens? You know, plenty of beers. Drive out, and I forget to turn the lights on. And I turn out, and it was a pretty major road, Arapahoe. And it had the esplanades in the middle. And I look, and here come the police down the other side. And I look, and I know my lights aren't on. I see them circling around. And in my all my wisdom and smartness, I decided to make a run for it. <laughs> so off I go, driving crazily, because I'm sitting there going, well, look at this. I've got... Miner's in the car. I'm a miner. We've got all the evidence in the car. We're all drunk. This is just yeah. going to be pretty bad all about today's standards. It probably wouldn't have been much at all. But so off we go. And in Dallas and in Richardson where I lived, as opposed to other places, although I know other places have these, there were alleys. 
and you could get down the alley or go down the street. So I went down and get, came to the alley that went to my house, and they were right behind us. The lights were going and everything chasing us. So we go down, and my parents had a carport because they had converted the garage, and they always had their two cars side by side, but because I was there, one was parked behind the other, so I come driving up, and thank God there's a available way to get in there. We drive through the little entry through the carport, pull up by the house, run out, run in the house, open the blinds, and the police keep right on going by us <laughs> into the night. They're probably still looking for us. But that was a drive-in. It could have been, even back then, and we would have been in a boatload of trouble. But mm -hmm. uh, it's still now, I tell that story, and I go, I can't believe I did that. I can't either. Yeah. Not Craig Jones. Sounds like a scene out of American Graffiti to me. Here they come again. Mm -hmm. Catch us if you can. Time to get a move on. Mm -hmm. We will yell with all of our might. Catch us if you can. 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 Um, Craig, I'm glad you didn't get locked up that night. Um, B, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're one of our dearest friends, and we, I guarantee we'll have you back on uh, on our show. I hope so. Thank you for the invitation. Enjoyed it. Yep, Craig, we appreciate it. Thank you for listening to us and visiting the old drive-in movie theaters with us. Our fall season drops September 20th. And as always, we promise we will not fade away. Thanks for listening to an episode from our first season of Not Fade Away Archives. Our fall season drops September 20th. Don't forget. The high-tech world allows us to archive memories from a period of time in a manageable way we could never have imagined. We would like to invite you to join us. We encourage comments and ideas you might have. We have a list of future possible episodes on our website and our Facebook page. If you feel like you could contribute information about an upcoming episode or even be a guest, we would like to ask you to email us at notfadeawayarchives at gmail.com. Our suggestions for episodes are a small fraction of the possibilities. We plan episodes on memories of events like the JFK assassination and the moon landing, which are memories we all share. But we want to learn about events and people that many of us might not know about that would make episodes we would all like to know about. We hope our published and suggested episodes stimulate many more program ideas. Much of the inspiration for Not Fade Away came from an annual reunion Craig attends with college friends. Most of the conversations centered around memories from over 50 years ago. We're going to reach out to colleges and things like the 55 and over communities to help us reach alumni and residents. Baby boomers have memories to share that are literally infinite. Our funding mechanism for Not Fade Away Archives is Apollo Art Speakers. Apollo Art Speakers produce excellent sound by vibrating aluminum photo art. Like Not Fade Away, these speakers are about memories. Let's let an Apollo art speaker owner 
tell us about his. Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm a retired Texas public school administrator, and since I've retired, uh, I've been building a, a man cave out at our, our place in the country, and I'm here today to show a few friends uh, what it looks like. Here's my great TV, big screen TV, listening to some great music and displaying some great artwork. There's an interesting story about this piece of artwork up here, this beautiful piece of artwork. In, in 2017, my mother-in-law passed away and my, my wife was sitting on the side porch of our, uh, of our house here and she noticed the beautiful sunset uh, to the west across our pond. She actually took this picture using her iPhone and uh, the, the picture turned out great and we turned it into a piece of art. Great music coming through a great speaker system and the great thing about it is that artwork that I just talked to you about, that is actually the sound system, audio system uh, produced by Apollo Art Speakers. The distinction about the Apollo Art Speaker is the clarity and detail in the music we're listening to and the television. The things I told you about is what makes Apollo Art Speakers a great product. But the special thing about it is we were able to use a photo that is very special to my family to build the speaker. A financial planner has a photo he took on a trip to Iceland hanging in his office. He bought the largest speaker that is sold. The photo and the sound that comes from it are stunning. Everywhere an Apollo art speaker hangs, people can't tell where the sound is coming from. They just know it sounds great as it fills the room. We also have terrific photos from a professional photographer, Dave Clements. Apollo art speakers hanging in homes and offices include an incredible picture of eagles in flight and licensed photos of Sir Paul McCartney and another one of Tom Petty. These two photographs are among hundreds Dave's published in coffee table books featuring musicians. The books are a fundraiser to combat Rett syndrome, which is a horrific disease that affects young girls. Apollo art speakers hang on the wall and are easy to install. Apollo art speakers includes a copy of one of Dave's books with every Apollo speaker sold. For more information on Apollo art speakers, visit our store on Etsy.com. We encourage you to get a free subscription to Not Fade Away Archives wherever you listen to your podcast. The music you will hear now is on a vinyl record playing through an Apollo art speaker unfiltered through a single mic. Our memories will not fade away. I'm gonna tell you how it's gonna be Fade away.